about that. So the story goes that Judas agrees to help the Jewish religious leaders identify Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He does this by giving Jesus a kiss. He betrays Jesus, he feels remorse, and he commits suicide. We want to know more, but we really don't. In fact, it seems that people have always wanted to know more about the Judas story. There is an ancient story, certainly fictional, about Judas after he betrayed Jesus. The story first appears in the 5th century, and it says this, that Judas, full of remorse, runs home after betraying Jesus. After Jesus' arrest, Judas runs home where his wife happens to be roasting a chicken. He explains to her what he has done and tells his wife that he's going to go kill himself because he knows that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, hunt him down, and get his revenge. Judas' uh, Judas's wife laughs and says that a man could no more rise from the dead than this chicken that she's roasting could come back to life. Immediately, the roasted chicken comes to life, crows, and Judas flees to kill himself. I'm fairly certain that it didn't go down like that. But I do wonder about Judas. What did he think about what he had done? We know he felt guilty, to the point of suicide, but we don't know much else. What I really want to know is what kind of encounter Judas would have had with the risen Jesus if he had stayed around. But he didn't. And so we don't know. Or do we? You see, someone else betrayed Jesus. He didn't hand over Jesus for money, but he denied even knowing him. His name was Peter, and he was not just an acquaintance of Jesus. He was a friend. He was one of the twelve. And even more than that, unlike Judas, Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle of three, along with James and John. And not only was Peter close to Jesus, but Jesus even predicted that Peter would betray him. And it doesn't appear that Peter worked very hard to prove Jesus wrong. In fact, Peter does deny Jesus three times. According to Matthew's account, at the final denial, Peter essentially says this, I swear to God, I cross my heart and hope to die. I don't know the man. Then the rooster crows. Peter remembers Jesus' prediction, and he weeps bitterly, realizing what he has done. Now, what's amazing to me is about 30 years later, this same Peter writes these words, and this is from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are protected through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This brings you great joy, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away, and will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him, and so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, because you are attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So from fear, cowardice, and betrayal, to faith, confidence, and boldness. Why the change? Peter says a lot in these seven verses, rich truths about the impact of the resurrection on our past, present, and future are discussed by a man who three decades prior held out no expectation of resurrection, even though Jesus clearly told him on several occasions that he would rise again on the third day. Understand that Peter was not alone in his ignorance. He scattered like the others did, and was just as surprised at what he learned on the first Easter Sunday. Still, why the change? Did he simply mature over 30 years? I'm sure he probably did, but this change in thinking about Jesus, about his death, about his resurrection, didn't come by 30 years of reflection and remembrance. You see, Peter had an opportunity that Judas did not. I don't know if Judas really expected Jesus to seek vengeance for his betrayal. I've often thought about, in no, smart, in no small part due to the questions of my children, what kind of interaction Jesus would have had with Judas. Would Judas have found grace or condemnation? Would he have found mercy or punishment? I have a hunch about what Judas would have received from Jesus raised from the dead. In fact, I'm pretty certain about it. I don't know what Peter thought either about his own denial. He clearly was not anticipating meeting Jesus again anytime soon. From Peter's perspective, Jesus didn't do what a king should do. Israel needed to be delivered from the oppression of Roman rule and from corruption in their own leadership. But Jesus dies instead. Peter's denials raise many questions, but it seems clear that in his mind, he was denying a failure. He was denying a man who failed to both deliver and purify Israel despite all the promise he showed and expectation he generated through his three years of public ministry. Have you ever denied Jesus? Or maybe better, how have you denied Jesus? I don't know your stories, not yet. I don't know your past and present struggles, and certainly not your future ones. But I know my own. I know how I have denied Jesus. I suppose I've never publicly denied knowing him like Peter did, but like Peter, I have acted as if I didn't know him, 
when he failed to meet my expectations. Here's just a few examples, and I will keep them vague enough to not ruin my reputation. I have denied Jesus when I've chosen the path of comfort and ease rather than the way of the cross. I have denied Jesus when I've refused to be content with what he has given me and instead demand that he give me more. I have denied Jesus when I've mistaken prosperity for his blessing and suffering for his displeasure. I have denied Jesus when I failed to turn the other cheek to my enemies and instead have desired revenge for me instead of blessing for them. I have denied Jesus when I've chosen my own agenda, my own plan, my own path, instead of even pausing to think of his. I have denied Jesus when I failed to help the poor, the orphan, the widow, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the prisoner. I have denied Jesus when I've seen the poor, the mourning, and the meek as weak instead of blessed. I have denied Jesus when I've used power and influence to manipulate and control rather than to serve. And then the rooster crows. And then I come to my senses, realizing what I've done. This happens in many different ways. Sometimes the crowing rooster is a kind word from a stranger. Sometimes it's a harsh but timely word from a friend. Sometimes it's a near miss or a scary plane ride. Sometimes it's gentle, but often it's jarring. But I think if we are paying attention, the rooster is crowing. And I weep bitterly sometimes. And sometimes I wonder if I am beyond his compassion, if I am beyond his forgiveness. My emotions might tell me that I am, but the resurrection gives me a different answer. You see, Easter means that my guilt, even my remorse, is not the end, but really the beginning. You see, because Jesus is raised, we can encounter him after our denial, in the midst of our grief and our guilt. Fortunately, Peter stuck around long enough to meet the resurrected Jesus, to show us what this Easter encounter looks like. <clears throat> it takes place a week or so after the first Easter Sunday, and we can read about it in John 21, verses 15 through 19. Then when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, feed my lambs. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. <coughs> Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. 
I tell you the solemn truth. When you were young, you tied your clothes around you and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you where you do not want to go. Now, Jesus said this to indicate clearly what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. After he said this, Jesus told Peter, follow me. Jesus waits at least eight days to address the elephant in the room, or at least in Peter's room. And you know, I'm not sure why. I think he waits to address Peter individually because while Peter voiced his denial, the other disciples certainly shared the same fear, the same confusion, the same doubts. Throughout the story of Jesus' interaction with his disciples, Peter is often the first and the loudest to say what's on his mind. But I think he's often saying what everyone else is thinking as well. We all know someone like this. But Jesus is gentle. He waits. He is patient. And just as Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus restores Peter three times. And in their final exchange, in addition to Jesus commanding Peter to feed his sheep, Jesus also tells Peter the kind of death he will die to glorify God. Remember, it's just over a week since Peter has denied Jesus, and now Peter knows that he will die to glorify God. The final words of restoration to Peter are the very words that began Peter's encounter with Jesus about three years before. Follow me. From denying he knows Jesus to save himself from suffering to following Jesus with the promise of suffering. All because he encountered the resurrected Jesus. Easter means that our denials of him are not the final chapter, the final word. Jesus, raised from the dead in vindication, offers you a new beginning to a new story. He offers new creation. He says to you, follow me. You can experience what Peter experienced. You can be changed like Peter was changed. As Peter tells us, the resurrection is the foundation, the anchor, the surety that God has mercifully given us new birth through faith, and that although we might suffer now, we have an inheritance, we have a future that God has reserved for us. And not only is he protecting this inheritance, he also protects us through his power. The point of what Peter writes is that if we accept Jesus' offer to follow him, we will achieve the salvation of our souls, not by our own effort, but because of his great mercy and through his great power. The question then that we must answer is what will we do in our despair? When the rooster crows, and I pray it has or will soon, and I pray that you hear it, because it's really the sound of his grace. Will your sorrow cause you to run from Jesus like Judas did? Or will it leave you with no option 
other than receiving the restoration that only the resurrection offers. I can say this with confidence, that Jesus is not intimidated or pushed away by our denial of him. His offer to follow him still stands. Some of you have already answered that call to follow Jesus. Let Peter's encounter with the resurrected Jesus and his words of encouragement to the church remind you that our hope is also resurrection and that it will not be achieved by human wisdom, influence, or power, but rather by the power of God who has reserved your inheritance and is right now preserving you. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray if, if, uh, for those, if there are any here, Lord, who, who, uh, who think that they are beyond your forgiveness, beyond your compassion, that their denials of you have uh, placed them in a state beyond your grace, uh, please work in their heart in such a way that they would be restored like Peter. that they would see your compassion, your grace, your beauty, and that your message to them isn't, I told you so, but follow me. Father, and for those who have chosen that narrow path, who are following Jesus, I pray that you would give them strength, continued grace, because you've told us we don't start by grace and finish by our own effort, that it's grace through and through. And please show us, Lord, the areas in our lives where we deny you, where we're not satisfied with what your expectations are, and so we go our own way. Continue to give us ears to hear the rooster crow, that we would wake up from that and repent and follow you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.